0: one US GP, two tyre manufacturers, and only six cars participating in the race. This week I'm talking all about the 2005 US Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Steward's Office. I'm Syra, and this week we are talking all about the 2005 United States Grand Prix as we have another episode of Weird and Wonderful F1. There was no Grand Prix this weekend since Formula One took a break between Qatar and what looks like it's going to be a pretty hectic triple header. So we've got Qatar, Mexico and Brazil coming up. Cota and brazil are both gonna end up being sprint race weekends and we still have battles going on up and down the grid even though both championships are all wrapped up so we do have a little bit of a breather before all of that kicks off so yeah i am back with another episode of weird and wonderful f1 where i have a look at some of the weird and wonderful f1 stories that have gone on some of the controversies just really interesting stories in f1 history These are stories that I have loved learning about either when I first started getting into F1 in 2021 or ones I'm just now discovering and I hope you guys find them interesting too. But for this week's episode of Weird and Wonderful F1, I ended up picking the 2005 United States Grand Prix. So I ended up picking this topic to cover probably around summertime when i was sorting out my podcast schedule for this half of the year and the sole reason i ended up picking it was just because we've got Cota coming up next which is the united states grand prix so i thought oh, okay yeah it makes sense for me to do this the weekend beforehand but i think considering everything that's just happened in Qatar with all of the tires this has ended up being way more apt than what i thought it was gonna be And for those of you who know what happened during the 2005 US Grand Prix, you will know why I said that. And for those of you who don't, it was all going to make sense very, very soon. So let's get into it. The 2005 US Grand Prix was the ninth race of the F1 calendar that year. And it was being held at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So... Some backstory on the 2005 F1 season, F1 had brought in a brand new rule and what it was going to mean was that drivers were only allowed to use one set of tyres for qualifying and another set of tyres for the race. So unless there was a big safety concern, a driver had to make sure that a single set of tyres could last a full race distance. Now, that is a massive change to what we see these days with F1 races, where we are looking at a minimum of a one-stop strategy because drivers have to change their tyres to a different compound during the race. And we saw in Qatar, there were mandated pit stops because of the tyre wear and tyre degradation. So we don't see this happening anymore. Drivers would get penalised because of it. But at the time, in 2005, Formula One also had two tyre suppliers. So right now we only have one and that is Pirelli who have also extended their deal with Formula One. But in 2005, there were two tyre suppliers and they were Bridgestone and Michelin. F1 teams were allowed to choose whatever tyre provider they wanted to, there was no issue with that. But they did have to stick with that tyre provider for the entire season. They weren't allowed to swap over to the other provider, even if you knew that other tire provider was better. So once you committed to either Bridgestone or Michelin, that was going to be your tire provider for the entire season. So in the 2005 season, three teams had chosen to go with Bridgestone and the rest of the teams were using Michelin. And Bridgestone were a tyre manufacturer that were really struggling to deal with this new rule that Formula One had brought in that season. And it was putting the front runner that was on the Bridgestone tyres Ferrari really on the back foot. So the afternoon practice session for the US Grand Prix had already started to cause some problems for the drivers. Now it started off with Ralph Schumacher, who was the brother of Michael Schumacher, who was racing for Toyota at the time. He'd had a pretty bad crash during the practice session at turn 13 all because of a rear tyre failure on the left. Now turn 13 was a very high speed banked corner and it caused a lot more tyre loading than was usual in Formula 1 at the time. That crash ended up being so bad that Ralph Schumacher was unable to carry on driving for the rest of the weekend so he withdrew from the weekend and was replaced with Ricardo Zonta, the test driver for Toyota. But he had also had a left rear tyre failure during practice as well. Now, the team principal of Toyota Racing at the time, John Howard, had released a statement saying that as well as the crashes from Schumacher and Zonta, their other driver, Yano Trulli, had vertical cuts in the sidewall of his rear tyre. Michelin had looked at Toyota and thought that they had been running under inflated tyre pressures and that was what was leading to the failures and the sort of vertical cuts they were finding in the tyres because Toyota were the only team that were seemingly finding these issues at that point. We weren't seeing tyre failures from anyone else on the grid. But Howard had turned around and said, look, that's not an issue. We weren't even running pressures that low on the tyres for that to be the case. That same day, however, on the Friday, Howard had said that employees from Michelin had come over and said that they had actually found the same issue that Truly had found in three or four other teams. So those vertical side cuts into the tyres they had found on other teams tires and that made it very obvious after FP2 that this wasn't just a Toyota team issue this was a Michelin tire issue. So Michelin called a meeting and said that they had to work overnight to try and understand what was causing these issues what was causing the tire failure. They were trying to figure out if it was just an issue with that specific batch of tires when they got made or if the tires overall were having an issue with this circuit. So Michelin had started that investigation and it uncovered a pretty serious and big issue for all of the Michelin users. And what they found was that the tyres just were not able to cope with the demands that Turn 13 created, but they weren't able to quite understand what the reason for that was. There was basically a wave that was created in a sidewall of a rear tyre when it went around the banking on Turn 13, that banking that was causing a lot more loading on the tyres. So, Michelin handed all of these findings over to the FIA and they turned to their teams that were using their tyres and said that they were going to have to take precaution on Saturday morning's practice. In that written letter with all of their findings to the FIA, which included a letter to Charlie Whiting, who was the race director at the time, Michelin had said that unless the cars could slow down in turn 13, those tyres would not last more than 10 laps during the race. And of course, these tyres were going to have to try and last the entire race. The replied to them and said that he was surprised that Michelin hadn't brought suitable tyres to the race. He also said that maybe the team should just tell their drivers they could only go a maximum safe speed around turn 13, that maximum safe speed that Michelin had set out. The teams themselves though had also come up with some solutions, including a new tyre specification that should be flown out, something a bit more sturdier that wouldn't face all of these tyre failures. But... Whiting had said this would be in breach of the rules and changing the track layout would also be out of the question. It would not be sanctioned by the FIA and therefore it couldn't be included in the championship. He said that all the proposals that were brought forward by these seven Michelin teams would be unfair to the Bridgestone teams who had obviously bought tyres with them that were able to last a full race distance. It wouldn't be fair on them. Michelin did have one last-ditch attempt of trying to figure out what was going on with their tyres. So what they did was fly out 26 of their tyres from Indianapolis, where the race was going on, all the way out to Ohio, where their research and development base was. But they didn't end up finding anything new there either. On the Sunday, which was the race day, there was a lot of talk between the teams in the run-up to this race. And Paul Stoddart, who was the team principal of Minardi at the time, a team that weren't having any tyre issues because they were with Bridgestone, Published an account later on of what happened during those discussions, and that is why we know so much of what happened during those talks. So, here's what we gathered. That Sunday morning, around 10am, the executive and technical bosses of Michelin met with Bernie Eccleston, who was the F1 boss at the time, along with the circuit's president, Tony George, and also invited to that meeting were the 10 team bosses. So, the seven teams that were using the Michelin tyres and the three teams that were using the Bridgestone tyres. Only 19 bosses ended up turning up to the meeting. Jean Todt, who was the team principal of Ferrari, who were using Bridgestone tyres, said, This doesn't concern me. I'm not a Michelin tyre user. This doesn't really concern my team, so I won't be going. Those Michelin representatives at the meeting, though, had reiterated the fact that their teams would not be able to compete in the race safely with the tyres that they had been provided. They asked that the Bridgestone teams would allow there to be an installation of a chicane at turn 13 to make it safer for the tyres so there wouldn't be as much loading on them and the tyre failure should no longer be an issue. The FIA continued their suggestion of limiting the speed of the cars at that specific turn and the team's just telling their drivers, look, if you want the tyres to last, you're going to have to slow down. And their other suggestion was that the teams were going to have to pit every 10 laps for a new set of tyres to avoid that being any tyre failure. But the teams rejected those two suggestions because it was going to only be the Michelin teams that would have to be pitting every 10 laps for a new set of tyres. The three Bridgestone teams weren't going to have to do that. They would be able to carry on in the race absolutely fine. They wouldn't be losing time out. And so obviously, yeah, the Frixton runners were going to end up pretty much winning the race because they weren't having those same issues and having to pit. The teams thought that the best possible solution for this issue would be installing a chicane at turn 13 but the FIA were standing by their decision of not making a single alteration to this circuit and because Sean Todd hadn't ended up going to this meeting Bernie Eccleston had said look I'll go and ask him about there being a chicane at turn 13. And when Eccleston came back, he said that Tot had refused to agree to the decision of adding a chicane. He said that this wasn't his problem, so he kept saying this. It was a problem for the FIA and for Michelin to sort out. Ferrari weren't going to get involved, it wasn't their issue. But later on, Tot ended up denying that Eccleston had ever consulted him about there being a chicane. But he did say if he ever got asked about it, he wouldn't have agreed to add in the chicane at Chain 13. And then on top of that, whilst Max Mosley, the head of the FAA at the time, wasn't at the Grand Prix, he wasn't at Indianapolis, he did tell the FIA that if there were any attempts to change the circuit, he would just cancel the Grand Prix. The FIA were not going to stand by and let a circuit alteration happen. So the group of these 19 principals and Bernie Eccleston ended up carrying on trying to find a solution to this problem and what they had ended up initially agreeing on was to have a non-championship race with the chicane added in and if Ferrari didn't want to take part because they weren't there at the time that was fine that was no problem they would run a non-championship race without Ferrari. The FIA had said, obviously, that if there was a change to the circuit, they would withdraw from the race. It would no longer be a championship race. So a non-championship race would mean that there would be no points given out for the drivers or the constructors' championship. You would have all the cars racing or whatever cars adopted to take part would race. You would, of course, have a winner and a second and a third place, but there would be no points given out to count towards anyone's championship. In the end though, the nineteen principals that were present decided that unless the FIA could come to a decision that was best for the sport, they would not be participating in the race. Stoddart, Eccleston and the Michelin team principals decided that what would happen was that their cars would participate in the formation act and then they wouldn't compete in the rest of the race. The only team principal that was present that didn't agree to this was Colin Coles for Jordan. Stoddart had asked him about this and he said that Jordan would be racing even though they previously agreed that they wouldn't race and they would stand by all the other teams. Stoddart felt that if he didn't race his cars then they would face heavy sanctions. His team Minardi would face some heavy sanctions from the FIA and so he decided that the team would also compete in the race but if the Jordans retired or failed to finish he would also retire his cars from the race and this was all before the Grand Prix even started and then we finally finally got to the race start right we had 20 drivers lined up on the grid ready to go and the fans were ready they were sat there ready to watch the Grand Prix go ahead but after the formation lap was completed 14 of the cars pulled into the pits and yeah the fans were not happy about this when they only saw six cars the ferraris the jordans and the minardis lining up ready to go for when the lights went out and to the surprise of many the race just carried on as usual there was nothing really different bar the fact that there were only six cars on the circuit the only issue was cars were having to dodge the rubbish that fans were throwing onto the track because they were unhappy by lap 10 of the race though a lot of the fans had decided to leave the grandstands and a lot of them ended up going to the ticket office at Indianapolis demanding to get a refund. At the podium when the race finally finished the Ferrari drivers Michael Schumacher and Ruben Barrichello, who finished in 1-2 quietly accepted their trophies and they just left the podium very very quickly. On the other hand... The driver for Jordan, Thiago Monteiro, stayed to celebrate his podium. It was his first stand, ended up being his only podium of his F1 career, and he stuck around to celebrate it. Post-race, the Grand Prix ended up being called a farce by the media. Stoddart publicly called out the FIA, saying that they needed to get a grip, as it had ruined the battle between Jordan and Minardi for the entire season. There was no point in them trying to battle it out anymore. Between two statements that he released after the race, he said that if Jordan hadn't decided to reverse their decision last minute and decided to go and race, Minardi would not have raced either. He also said that the full blame for what happened lied with Max Mosley for not finding some kind of accommodation for the race and the fans who had paid to watch, and he called for Max Mosley to resign. He understood that yes... Michelin were also at fault for not bringing tyres that would be able to last for this race but he laid the full blame at the feet of the FAA and Max Mosley because they could have done something to make the race better for the drivers that were with the Michelin tyres. The next day, which was the Monday, the FAA had published the reasons as to why they refused to either put the chicane in or allow a change to the specification of tyres. They end up saying, look, there are clear rules that have been written and we can't just change them when a team opts to bring the wrong equipment to a race. In terms of adding a chicane to the circuit and making those track alterations, that would have meant that the circuit had been significantly changed without any safety procedures. And that would have meant that they'd have been exposed to significant legal liability if there happened to be any accident because they hadn't actually gone through all the safety checks that were necessary. Now, the seven teams, the Michelin teams who did not take part in the race because of safety reasons, ended up being summoned to a World Motorsport Council meeting for a hearing at the end of June so they could explain why they hadn't taken part in the race. They were all charged with violating Article 151C of the sporting regulations, which refers to acts prejudicial to the interests of competition or motorsport generally. After finding all the teams guilty of this at that World Motorsport Council meeting on the 29th of June, around a month later at the end of July, the World Motorsport Council overturned their decision and they cleared every single team of their charges. Now apparently this was because Ron Dennis and Christian Horner had said that the Indiana state law meant that the Michelin teams had no choice but to pull out of the race. If they hadn't, they could have faced criminal charges for knowingly putting others at risk, even if no accident actually occurred. So Michelin ended up doing a couple of things to say sorry to the fans. So they had said they'd compensate the fans who had tickets for that year's Grand Prix, and they also purchased 20,000 tickets for the following year's US Grand Prix to be given to the fans who had attended the 2005 race. And that's what happened during the 2005 US Grand Prix. I just hadn't realised how well lined up this was going to be given the circumstances of the Qatar Grand Prix. Honestly, I can't believe it's lined up this well with everything. But yeah, Perali and the FA had come to the decision during the Qatar Grand Prix weekend that it wasn't safe for the drivers to just do however long they wanted to on a set of tyres and that they were only allowed a maximum of 18 laps on a single set of tyres so this is still kind of an issue that crops up in formula one and I spoke last week about these mandated tyres since obviously just the sort of climate the drivers were having to race in in Qatar and why I didn't think that was a good idea but looking at 2005 I think it's just insane that these teams were then summoned to a world motorsport council meeting for not taking part in a race. And that the FIA and these teams couldn't find any kind of middle ground to allow these drivers to race in a safe way that also wouldn't completely hamper their ability to race. The fact that all of those seven teams were then charged with Article 151C is just insane to me. And I'm very glad that they got cleared because they were also just doing their legal duty by not letting these cars race. What a wild time, though. I could not imagine what fans who had bought tickets at the time must have been thinking, what people who had tuned in to watch the race. Imagine the 2005 US Grand Prix being your first ever Formula 1 race. Like That is the very first race that you know, that you remember, that you consciously take in. You flicked over to a channel to watch F1. You thought, oh, you know what, nothing else to do on a Sunday. I may as well watch and you see six drivers lined up on the grid. To be honest, I was a Formula 1 fan now, right? If I hadn't been keeping up with the news going on in Formula 1, I'd swapped over just to watch the race and seen six cars, I also would have been very, very confused as to what the heck was going on. But that is another episode of Weird and Wonderful F1. If there were ever any F1 controversies or stories that you would love me to cover and to dive into, please let me know comment on my instagram or my tiktok about any stories that you guys know about or that you're curious about that you might have heard about in passing the other thing i am hoping to do probably starting next year so the 2024 season my start season two of this podcast is to look at some legends of f1 and some f1 rivalries. so not just modern day drivers and rivalries i'm talking about when f1 began Some of the big, big names in F1 when I talk about legends, about how they came into racing, karting, got into Formula One, if and when they won their world championships, what happened when they retired, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, some of the big rivalries that we've seen throughout the years in Formula One, would love to go into those as well. But yeah, that's probably going to be in 2024. But once again, if there are specific Legends of F1 you want me to talk about, specific rivalries you'd like me to cover, please let me know. I'm over on Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office. So just drop me a message or comment on my posts on there and I will be more than happy to have a look into them and hopefully do episodes on them. I will be back next Tuesday, 9am for a full debrief of the united states grand prix as we head out to the circuit of the americas this will be our second united states grand prix we've got three in total this season it will be a sprint race weekend there's still so so much to play for so yes join me back here next tuesday 9 a.m thank you guys so so much for listening and you please give this podcast a five star rating if you enjoy it i really appreciate everyone who listens and who follows me over on instagram and tiktok it really does mean the world and i will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the steward's office